Architects on the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about wood framing. On today's episode, I am with the co-curators of the American Pavilion of the 2020 Venice Architecture Biennale, Paul Anderson and Paul Priesner. The theme of the Biennale this year, which has since been postponed to 2021, is called How We Live Together. And Anderson and Priestner's work for the American Pavilion looks at what is probably both the most influential and most overlooked contribution to architecture, wood framing. Titled American Framing, the American Pavilion examines the influence of wood framing construction and what that tells us about this country, about economics, about equality, about infrastructure, and of course about architecture. Both the Pauls are also architects themselves, having collaborated on architectural and curatorial projects together, as well as both of them running independent practices in Chicago and Denver. Both of them also are on faculty at the University of Illinois Chicago. In this conversation, we talk about the exhibition, we talk about the American Pavilion, we talk about what we can learn from wood framing, a, a subject that, you know, perhaps at first glance seems boring or even kind of, you know, dumb, um, but is actually really interesting. We talk about where their interest in it developed, as well as how it responds to and relates to the Venice Spinelli theme. We also talk a lot about their practices and how they collaborate and how their shifts, how their work shifts between architecture and teaching and writing and criticism. I'm fascinated by the exhibition they've put together and found this conversation equally interesting. I'm really happy to have them on the show. Remember, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that is written by me as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. Each newsletter features original content, bonus interviews, and all sorts of other kind of interesting content. If you like Scratching the Surface and want to see it continue, you want to see it live in the world, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details and to sign up, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Thank you, as always, for listening. And here is my conversation with Paul Anderson and Paul Priesner. I want to start talking about the American Pavilion that, that you both uh, kind of have curated, or I guess are kind of still curating. It's it's been delayed a bit. Um, but the, the theme of, of the pavilion is American framing. And I want to know where that idea or that concept came from for both of you. How long have you been thinking about this idea of framing? Uh, I, I guess we started thinking about it maybe two years ago. Yeah, maybe even maybe a little bit longer than two two years ago. So we've been, I mean, we have been working together since two thousand thirteen. Uh, I think on various various projects, often for like uh, biennials or exhibitions, where we've done a kind of site specific installation as part of the programming or curatorial theme, uh, and and so we would just we had just finished five rooms for the Chicago architecture being all and and we always start thinking what is another interesting project we could do together you know like right. it, it's yeah. kind of our collaborative work is kind of a side project from our individual practices um, mm -hmm. and and so we try and just do as a habit one one a year at least 
Uh, and so the cycle of the U.S. Pavilion w was coming up, the kind of application cycle. And, and we had been both working on single family homes uh, that were, were both kind of produced out of wood framing, softwood construction as a, as a type. And, you know, we, it just seemed like a kind of interesting project to try and tackle the kind of nature of softwood framing because it's it's boring and kind of anonymous and 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 rather dumb and common and it's everywhere and it's entirely kind of un, unregarded in a kind of intellectual sense within the academies that we teach at and things like it it's just it felt kind of interesting to then maybe look at it and make it a thing and the US pavilion seemed like a, a nearly perfect venue for that because it's it's a construction type that we could kind of tie back to the history of the United States and American culture and a kind of ethos of practice. Uh, and it also fits the purpose of the U.S. Pavilion, which is a way to kind of exhibit some type of cultural aspect of architecture for art, depending on the year, uh, to the U.S. And I think we generally had also found the U.S. Pavilion traditionally had a model of exhibiting uh, American practices as a kind of group show, which is to say that the mm. exhibitions were always about architects. Uh, and we thought it would be interesting to do a pavilion about architecture. Um, mm. and, and so it kind of just came up from those three or four things happening two years ago, um, in a way, from my memory. I think I texted yeah. Paul and said, like, what do you think about framing? And he texted back, awesome <laughs> like let's do it like, like it happened that kind of casually uh from my memory and so i mean can can i think it i think it's interesting also how you said that it's something that it's, it's this topic that is overlooked or you know maybe even looked down upon and and i will admit when i first saw that the theme was american framing i was like huh that seems uh less interesting than <laughs> for, uh -huh. previous years and as i've done kind of the the reading you know reading the things that you've kind of put out that there's this uh, i'm sorry for what i'm about to say american framing becomes a kind of frame to talk about these other ideas also how did you pitch this idea to the um or let me let me back up because i'm not even totally sure how the process of kind of selecting both of you to, to curate, did you pitch a idea or how does that work? Yeah. I mean, well, so we, we, uh, you, anybody can apply to do it. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a grant that comes from the state department, mm -hmm. um, and is, and the selection process is run both by the state department and the, uh, uh, NEA. And, um, it, uh, it's an open, you know, it's an open call for, uh, you know, for the grant. And so we actually started working on it before that call was open. Um, and we, we ran a couple of seminars at UIC to uh, learn a little bit more about the topic and start to put together materials for the proposal. And um, yeah, I mean, we were kind of just, uh, you know, you asked how we pitched it. I mean, it was pretty much how Paul described it. I mean, I think to go, you know, maybe just a, a little bit deeper into the, um, you know, into that, we understood it to be a particularly American phenomenon in a couple of ways. Um, 
for one, it is very egalitarian. Um, you know, everybody kind of, everyone's houses in the U S are built out of the same stuff when, when it comes to the, you know, the structure of the house at least. So, uh, you know, you, you can't get a, you know, a better two by four if you have more money or something like that. So it's, so there's something that's, and, and it, you know, something kind of egalitarian about that and also adaptable, you know, that it's, it's used to build lots of different kinds of things that look very different from one another. You know, it doesn't have a, a kind of a, a central aesthetics, I guess, to it that, um, you know, that kind of like sends some, communicates some kind of message about culture or society. It's, you know, it's very, it, it's very open. And so, um, you know, that, that was a big part of it. And, and that was interesting to us as designers, because, you know, that means that there's this, there's this thing out there that we're all using, we're not really talking about it. And so, um, you know, maybe instead of it being just a solution to a problem, like you come up with the form or the, the, the type or the organization of a building or a house, and then you use this to, you know, to, to build it, maybe, it, you know, maybe it's worth looking at as a construction system and to see how, you know, tweaks in the system might be able to generate new or provocative forms of architecture. So, um, I mean, that, that was, that was, that was basically the gist of it for, for us personally, it also tied into, you know, this kind of history of, of occasional projects that Paul and I have done, which also have tended to be full scale. Um, you know, we've worked on a lot of exhibitions and, uh, and had a lot of opportunities to build things that, at full scale for those exhibitions, um, you know, which is, which is a little bit unusual because architecture exhibitions typically focus, you know, far more on drawings or models or texts or other uh, representations of architecture. So, you know, it's kind of nice to, to have a chance to do that. And, you know, in, in some of the past exhibitions and wood framing, you know, gave us both a, the intellectual project to start, but also, you know, a chance to, to do another full scale piece for an exhibition. Um, so, right. yeah, I mean, that was the, and, and that was all part of the, the presentation to the, to the state department in our application. Do you think there's something, you know, you, you kind of talk about how there's there's something uh, egalitarian about it, and there's there there are these kind of very uh, you know kind of unique ideas to framing. Is there something specifically? Do you think there's something specifically American about it? Also, that you know that you're calling this American framing? Yeah. So I think like I, I mean I guess in the way it developed in the early 19th century, starting kind of in the Midwest. Uh, you know, it, 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 it originated in a, in a kind of building context or a kind of moment in time where the way that architecture was constructed required extensive training, uh, guild membership, specialized tools, whether you're doing heavy timber, whether you're doing stone masonry, whether you're doing brick masonry, like the, the kind of entry into the production of it was slow and, and guarded uh, and it required big teams or heavy equipment to do those things. Uh, and so the introduction of, you know, there's a lot of different things that developed at the time, the kind of creation of mass-produced nails instead of kind of forged nails uh, and stuff like that, introductions of hammers or, or things. But um, and the, you know, dimensional lumber as opposed to timber. Um, but what it did is the kind of parts of it allowed architecture to be constructed with, with very few details, crude details, uh, 
one, you know, there was, there's nothing beautiful in any kind of like traditionally aesthetic way about the connections. They're kind of ugly and sloppy and haphazard and ad hoc. And other than a few standards of spacing uh, and what you do with headers and things like that, like framing is a pretty dumb and easy thing. And it allowed lots of people to do it uh, at a time when America was expanding West, uh, the Homestead Act, the, the, you know, the plentiful resources of the forests in the Midwest. So it kind of, it kind of developed as a way for people to be able to build their own things, to be able to build cheaper, faster things. And it kind of fit a particular ethos that American culture had and has always had, which, you know, through art or movies or music, which is kind of one that seems generally bored with tradition is looking for ways to kind of uh, skip the line, but still produce something provocative and culturally relevant uh, and, and a kind of embracing of sloppiness as its own aesthetic or kind of intellectual principle, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like the forms of music were not the kind of forms of music that was out of Europe and stuff like that. So, so I think like for those reasons, like it, it is a typically American practice and it's one that was never really embraced elsewhere. Like there is mm-hmm. softwood framing in other countries, but it's super niche. It's not a really generally used thing. Some places it doesn't exist at all. Other places, like in Poland, it's literally called American framing when they refer oh, refer to the construction type, or, or so we've been told. So, um, you know, like it, it feels something that's uniquely from here, and it develops such a large swath of our built landscape, and still does, and yet has a very like small profile in terms of status, right? Like every, right. everybody knows it, but no one thinks it's cool, especially like at, especially at the, I guess in the world that Paul and I maybe, maybe operate in the kind of like academic or kind of, you know, practice mm-hmm. or something. It's just, it's not steel or carbon fiber or any kind of weird Mm. structural thing it's just dumb wood framing and and is taken for granted but but that's actually what i think makes it really fascinating uh to us you know and also because like paul mentioned about you can't buy a better two by four right like even if even if you wanted to uh and conversely like even if you couldn't afford to you can't buy a cheaper one like there's just one um, mm-hmm. it might come from a different mill, but it's the same. It's always the same thing. I, I mean, for me, at least, like, it's always kind of interesting that it's, it's the kind of underlayment of um, American society in a way. And it kind of contradicts the, the self idea of our own ideology we have. Like it flattens all right. the superficialities of American construction as just kind of one structural frame underneath it and exposes like for me and my like priorities, at least like the narcissism of the shit we spend our money on to make it all seem different when when it's not. So it's a really bizarre thing and felt important to, to make a subject out of. I was curious about kind of how you thought about the entire Venice Biennale theme, how we live together, how American framing fits into that. And I think that's where this starts to really connect. And I, in the, the kind of introduction to it, you quote the Andy Warhol about everyone having the same Coke and you, you make the joke that uh, FDR lived in a wood frame house. Beyonce lives in a wood frame house. Is that 
that's the beginning of where this kind of connects to the idea of how we live together. How do you start to kind of build on top of that, that this is some sort of egalitarian idea and kind of connecting to that theme of living together? Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Do, um, do you know what I mean? Did I, did I kind I of mean, phrase I do, that? And it's, a, it's a tricky one to answer because on the one hand, um, you know, the kind of uh, the, the sort of flat status of framing in American building culture and society is certainly interesting and appealing. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't go so far as to say that we are trying to, you know, make a statement about how we should live together, you know, and the kind of moralism mm. I, I'm, I'm in, when it comes to design, very sensitive to that kind of moralism. Like the, I don't like being told I should do things a certain way. Um, I guess ma- mainly because I got I got into architecture because I like you know <laughs> figuring out how to not do things how to do things right, the way I'm right, not right. supposed to do them you know and like, and what are the maybe what are some of the benefits of that and I'm curious about that so so it's a it's a slippery slope in a way I, um, I mean I I do I do think that you know it's it's a it's an interesting way to, to think about the subject from, you know, for me, the, or the, the question of how we mm-hmm. should live together to think like, okay, well, what if we all start with the same material, you know, and then what can we make of that? And, and if that material is, is, you know, this kind of like accessible material, you know, it's not something that's like really high tech or that you need, you know, a lot of specialized knowledge or money or, equipment or anything to use. I mean, you know, I think that's a, it's a nice starting, starting point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I hesitate to say like that there's something in wood framing that is, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, like a, like a kind of lesson or something that, um, the rest of the world could, should, should learn from or something like that. I, I mean, let me, I, I know what you mean, and and I have a. I, I, I'm perhaps going to frame the question in another way, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about this being a subject that is uh, overlooked or ignored or or looked down upon within kind of the academy or the institution. And I, I'm not totally sure I know how to phrase this question, but I get the sense that it it is important to both of you to talk about this because it is not something that is maybe talked about or taken seriously. And I think there's there's a certain kind of contrarianism to that that I, I sense in your both of your work individually and also in this project. And I, get, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, is some of that to say, look, this is something that should be taken seriously? Or is it, or should be looked at with a, a more critical eye, or is something that we should be talking about, or is it more of, you know, almost like highlighting the arbitrariness of why some things are taken seriously in architecture and some things aren't? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess it is all of those, all of those mm. things, right? So. Um, I, I guess just the history of, of our particular topic and the, the artistic direction theme of this year's Biennale, How Will We Live Together, the process that we started w- was well before that was announced. Mm. Um, 
So it's just kind of a strange, strange fit that that you can yeah. you can draw very easy parallels between what our pavilion subject matter was and the the general theme. Like it, it could have easily just as been, um, how do you make a car? But ours still would have been American framing. You know, like just just the, just the order of how it came. Uh, but but I think like it's not. Um, that's not to say that we're we're uninterested in the general theme, and we actually think that it worked out happenstantially quite nice that it it does fit. Uh, and for me, at least, you know, I think one thing Paul and I often have the exact opposite takes on things, and the projects always fit in in between those two ways. Um, mm-hmm. Like just in terms of how we work, we spend a lot of time more or less just xing out what the other person did for a number of months. Uh, un- until we get to something that stops revealing either of ours most uh, common habits, right? Mm. So then it ends up being a project that isn't Paul's or Paul's, um, but right. is Paul's. But so I think like what I've kind of always found interesting about it isn't that is is that it's both something that should be taken seriously, but also and critically and intellectually and and maybe specially, but because of the exact reason that it's something entirely unspecial and dumb and common and and kind of really casual, uh, and it's not it's not a kind of uh, weird, remarkable spectacle. It's normal in, in some ways, and I think the kind of normal is much more interesting as a kind of intellectual space for me than the special. So in response to like, how will we live together? You know, often the general answer is going to be a kind of utopic response or a kind of techno futurist response. And to me, this is kind of, I think, a, a beautiful response because in some ways it, it says the, the same way we always have or the dumbest way or the, the cheapest way. You know, like I think there's so many there's so many things that don't really give the answer that somebody would expect for how will we live together, which is a question about the future. And your answer is really something, um, not even from the past, something just from the present, you know, right. Right. Like there's kind of a flat history almost to wood framing. It didn't exist. And then it did. It's really undergone very few changes or evolutions you know, maybe the reduction, like the move from balloon to platform framing and and in a, a few ways of figuring out um, some details, but it, it's been pretty much, pretty much the same. So I don't know, I think it's kind of interesting. How will we live together is, it's kind of an open question because there's one, no answer, uh, or two, all the answers, which is the same, which is the same thing. And then, this, right. and then our kind of response is, is, is maybe this subversive one right like you just live in in the same way everybody else does right (laughs) yeah it's interesting that you you started talking a little bit about your process uh and kind of your collaboration because that's something that i was interested in talking to you about and i'm i'm very interested personally in how kind of specific projects relate to the larger practice kind of the you know the almost like the auteur theory that you know all of this is part of kind of one big practice mm-hmm. um 
how, how did you two start working together? And how does this specific project, American Framing, fit into both your long-term collaborations, but then also your individual practices? Uh, well, we started working together on a project that was um, um, a couple of barns for a mm. contemporary art festival um, here in Denver. And they they were only assembled. They were only up for, I don't know, like six hours or something like that. I mean, it was, oh, wow. it was, an, you know, it was a really brief, quick, uh, light project. And, um, you know, it worked out well. Like somehow, you know, we, we decided to do it together and we, we did it and were sort of surprised by the results, I guess. And, um, yeah, it just seemed like it's what Paul said earlier is, is definitely very accurate. I mean, I think we, we, we have, we, we come from a similar background. We were both in grad school at about the same time studying similar things. Um, and in some ways have had very similar reactions to those things. Like we both, you know, kind of reacted against what we were taught in, in one way or another <laughs> over uh -huh. the years, but, but we've done that in, in different ways. So I, I think somewhere we share enough interests and ideals to be able to, you know, to work together well, but have such different sensibilities and aesthetic desires. And that's, that's really important to, to, I think both of our work bodies of work or whatever, it seems kind of heavy to say a body of work, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, whatever we do. Um, and, uh, and so it's always kind of interesting to work together because, because you, we, I don't think either of us in most cases can predict what we're going to, you know, what we're going to design or how it's going to turn out. And that's, that's, mm. you know, that's a pleasure for sure. So, um, you know, we absolutely don't agree or get along all the way through, but we also have been through it a few times now and we know that it'll turn out to be really good, especially if I think it would probably scare me if we didn't disagree. Right. Uh, you know, it would seem like we, we were, you know, we weren't, we weren't, uh, there wasn't a, a productive friction there anymore. That, that would probably be, you know, a, a, something to be worried about, to be honest. Um, right. But, uh, and it also seems to work for us really well to just do it occasionally, you know, to not, not be partners who are working together all the time and not to just, do it once and then, you know, move on. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think we've been very casual about it and that's helped us. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember the, the kind of beginning of the question, but I do remember, um, that you had mentioned the kind of auteur theory and, yeah. and I think I'm not a subscriber to that. In fact, actually, like it's one of the things that drives me up the wall about, Oh, architectural discourse and architectural practices it seems like architects have have bought in and believe the auteur theory of creator even more than maybe like the film people do yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it and it it just is it's crazy i, I don't know like yeah, the whole i mean and rand, rand has never done more damage than yeah. with the introduction of that to our world so it it kind of drives yeah. me nuts um I mean, you know, now that you say that, though, I feel like that's probably not the right. No, I'm it's, not just, I'm it's not the just... right suggestion because it's totally true. And I was just discussing this with a friend of mine who's not an, an architect um, about my field, just like griping about it to, to him. And, and he kind of noticed the same thing. And when I say auteur theory, I am not... I'm not interested in like the sole creator or the sole genius. I, I, 
kind of when I think about that term, or at least the way that I like to kind of uh, think about it, perhaps in my own work, or even in the way I was posing the question is, I think that a lot of us as designers or architects or, or kind of people who work in these fields, kind of every project is just a rearticulation of similar interests that we have. I feel like mm-hmm. there's just kind of similar themes that run through everything and each project or essay or book or show or class is just a different way to articulate these various themes. And I'm kind of interested in what those are for you and how this fits into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a little less auteurish, maybe a little less uh, pretentious and heavy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess, again, like, is the question in terms of how we work together, I, I think we both start with some open questions on the subject, whether the subject is a particular project, like for example, with the 2017 Chicago Architecture Biennale, it had a, a you know, an artistic direction, make make new history, so it was mm-hmm. historically focused. We had a particular site, which was a kind of corridor and a really crummy one of that, that, that our project, we thought, one of the goals is to actually make what's a terrible gallery space into a good gallery space. Mm. Uh, and and so, you know, we, we kind of approached the project that way. And I think we both had the same op- opinions on that. And, and then it was about trying to find something that a- addresses the historic focus, but does it in a way that isn't what our our peers are doing, which, you know, is, is for me, right. I see often as like, a fetishization of history or really using only the kind of iconic moments from history as these Mm -hmm. kind of like tropes Mm -hmm. or symbols or things like that. So we kind of looked into something super historical that also has no real authorship to it, a kind of anonymous form of history, which is why we ended up settling on these kind of walls produced out of uh, glazed structural tile, which you see in just the kind of common municipal buildings and pools mm-hmm. and high schools in the fifties and sixties. Like, you know, it's something that is like by every definition, historic and of the moment in a kind of genre and architecture of itself, but it also has none of what makes history and architecture fashionable to everybody else. Like there's no author, right. it doesn't have a strong symbolic presence. There's no kind of story about it or narrative. It was just a kind of quotidian way of of doing things and so then we used that and did something that is both kind of dumb and normal but also had a really kind of esoteric and specific orientation and and look to it you know like so i don't know i guess i guess that's why like for me it's kind of it can't be an auteur based one and this doesn't actually like follow literally from that but i think like it's not yeah. for, foregrounded by our personalities or our own individual mm-hmm. interests so much is just trying to take some general themes and work about them in a much more uh, removed way at first. So it's not just, uh, it's yeah. not just a picture of us in 3d space, but, <laughs> but it's a thing that actually like is critical of the world that it's being developed for and within. Right. And, and is kind of right. like, illuminating the the dominant ideologies that allow it to mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. exist within an exhibition or a building or a site uh, mm-hmm. and and comments on those things like so it, it's more than just architecture it's also an idea about architecture which means it's not an idea about 
Paul Anderson or Paul Preisner, right? Like uh, right. in that sense. Well, so, I mean, both of you are practicing architects. You are teachers. You both have written. You've curated this show, curated other shows. As as we were talking about before we hit record, that's kind of a practice that I'm interested in. And I'm, I'm very interested in the overlap and uh, kind of places of convergence and divergence in those those types of practices. How does all of these different activities fit together for both of you in your individual practices? I mean, I think they, uh, they fit together. I, I, I would say, or at least like speaking for myself, I would say they fit together through, uh, mostly through intellectual interests and, and mm. meaning that, you know, I, you know, architecture takes a lot of different forms. It's, you know, sometimes it's a building, but, and other times it's a model or a drawing or gossip or, you know, a, a opinion piece and in, in a, you know, in a paper. I mean, it's, it can be, you know, it can take a lot of different forms and, and the advantage of working through those different forms, or at least one advantage is that you can kind of sort through them in different ways, maybe think about them in different ways, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. the, in those different forms. So, you know, to, to write about a subject or to curate an exhibition about a subject and to design something, you know, design a building or, or design a model or, you know, any, any of that stuff is, you know, it's, they're very different ways of practicing, uh, you know, and, and working through a set of, a set of ideas or questions. So, um, you know, I think that's the, I would say that's the, that's the, the way that it kind of comes together. And it's also the reason for doing more than, you know, like working through more than one medium, let's say, or form. Are there, um, you know, kind of like what Paul was saying earlier about this show, especially being also kind of critical at having a critical point of view also does, are there kind of different positions or different processes of being the architect versus being the critic? Or do those, uh, you know, do those influence either side of being an architect? Does that change how you approach it? Or then kind of being the critic change how you then go back when you're designing a building? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't think we, I don't think we feel like we're critics or or curators, even though that's our kind of technical title in this. I mean, I think we approach it differently. Like we have different training and a different way of practicing and a different way of looking at things. So you know, like we, 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 we identify themes or kind of broader themes and try and figure out how things and people and materials and and histories fit into that. But I think the way we have approached the projects and, and this one, I mean, this one mechanically is different than the other ones because we are coordinating other people and it's a little bit, it's, it's broader uh, and, and much bigger, but I think we're still approaching it as two, two people who, uh, produce work and not just assess work in in that sense. Right. And so it's a different set of expertises and opinions that we kind of, we kind of bring to these, uh, and, and ways of looking. So, you know, it, I think, which is to say that I guess like to make it as a critical project is different than to critique it as a, as a project right like for us so it's it's a project that isn't just it it understand it's again like it's it's as an exhibition it's a 
a number of different parts. Those parts all individually are done to both uh, demonstrate the topic and the theme and the potentials and the shortcomings and the weirdness or whatever and the normalcy, but they're also done to kind of illuminate the conditions that it exists within, right? So for me, that's what makes it a kind of critical project as opposed to just something useful or something pretty or, or something like right, that. Right, right, I mean, yeah, I think that, that I agree. I mean, I think whatever, you know, whatever we do, whatever I do, I do as an architect, um, you know, and try to be pretty conscious of that and, and stick to that. Um, and if it, if it includes criticism, it's, you know, from that point of view and, and, you know, through that, you know, that, that way of working. So, you know, I, like if I, I, cause I also think a lot of the work that we do is criticism, even if it's, you know, like designing a building and not writing, uh, writing something, you know? Uh, and so, so I, it's, uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of gets to, I, as I was asking the question, I felt like I wasn't phrasing it properly because it was almost saying that these are two separate things. And I guess kind of the, the, the question that I was asking is how, how does, you know, is the architecture a critical project just as much as, you know, this exhibition is really kind of what I was, was interested in. It sounds like the answer is yes. Well, yeah. Cause I think it's all, I mean, it, you know, it's all architecture basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, you mentioned earlier that in your collaborative process, you kind of, you know, cancel each other out. You, you, you kind of go back and forth, sometimes kind of go in different directions and that you go into these projects, never knowing where they're going to end up or how they're going to evolve. And I'm curious how that looked in this project uh, and in American framing. Did this go, where did this go that you were not expecting it to? There are a few, there are a few parts, aspects of it that I, that, you know, I, I do not think were at least part of what I was imagining starting off. Um, I think uh, that, uh, you know, one, maybe one of the, you know, one that comes to mind and me sort of immediately is, is the book that we're working on. Um, mm. I think that there are, you know, the, the, I, I don't know how, how, how widely known this is, but the, but the Venice Biennale, at least like the, you know, being the selected to be the commissioner slash curator of the, of the U S pavilion involves not only putting together the exhibition in Venice, but also, um, or at least can involve a book it can involve a lot right. of programming that's, you know, not necessarily part of the content of the, of the show. Um, it, it can involve follow-up exhibitions in the United States. You know, some, some people in the past have done really nice, uh, you know, work with that. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, something that we didn't really have in mind at the very beginning, but became, you know, kind of more a part of the project as we went was that each of these parts of the project um, could be a chance to generate new content. So the mm. book, for example, you know, most of the content of the book will not be like just, you know, taken from Venice. Uh, you know, there, there will be mm. probably some photos and, you know, some things uh, that document um, some of what we're doing there, but a lot of it are, you know, essays, other photographs and images, um, you know, and a bunch of, a bunch of new stuff that we hadn't really, uh, you know, we didn't have in mind when we started the project, but has come up as like, you know, a, a way to, to get a little deeper into the, the topic. 
Um, which I guess, uh, you know, wouldn't have been entirely unpredictable given that we're, you know, this isn't, this, this exhibition is not the culmination of a bunch of, you know, work that's already been done, but yeah. it is meant to open up a, a, you know, some discourse. So, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the book it, it is going to be sort of unusual in its format, um, mm. and is going to have a lot of, uh, you know, stuff in it that, that, you know, just wasn't part of the plan originally. And, um, nice. yeah. And, and in a, in a, in a, in a way that, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be great. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. I was kind of hoping I asked if, if a book was available or would be available that I could read in, in prep for this. And I was told not yet. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It hasn't been written. It's coming. Yeah. Okay. Like the, the people writing essays, Dan Handel, Penelope Dean, Jack Self, hmm. David Solomon, Paul, and myself, like our essays are all in progress right. over the next nice. month or two. So, and then the, the photographic work is still in, in progress. Like everything's still in progress uh, for the book. Yeah. So nice. I mean, it sounds, I can't wait for the book. Penelope and Jack Self, I've had on the show, and I'm, I'm huge fans of both of their work also. Oh, cool. Um, uh, and like I subscribed to flat out and the real review. So, uh, I, I'm a, a big fan of the collection of people that you've gotten for this also. Uh, my last question, this is a question that I used to, to close all of these conversations. I'm just kind of interested in what you both are reading right now to be, I haven't, other than all these books on the origin and history <laughs> of softwood construction in the U S uh, and maybe because I've been reading lots of those. The only things that I can really remember offhand that I've been reading and for the last year and a half has has been fiction. So right now I'm okay. working through uh, the Topeka School. Oh, um, what do you think? I'm only on the, the like 20th page okay. when okay. he when he's kind of got lost. Uh, yeah and ran out, ran out of the wrong house or was in the wrong house and then ran right, out recognizing right. okay, it. Okay. Okay. Um, and then went, drove home and went to this tournament, this, de this debate tournament. So I think I, I like just finished the first debate. Um, okay. so far I really like it. I mean, I've loved all his other books. Yeah. And before that I just finished, uh, my year of rest and relaxation. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> which, which was great. I think Eileen was a much more harrowing, uh, and kind I haven't of read that one yet. Scary book, uh, and intense book. And, but this one was maybe more my, um, general style in fictions. They're both be beautiful books. So but that's what I've been reading. I, I am also a big fiction reader. I have not read Eileen, but I just finished, um, my year of rest and relaxation, uh, and loved it. So I have to go back and read her others. And I also love the Topeka school. So we'll have to talk again when you finish it. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I think like, they're both great. Ben Lerner. Yeah. Moskev. Like perfect books, perfect authors. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Paul, what about you? Uh, I just finished um, a book called The Story of Edgar Sautel. Um, I don't know that. By David Roblowski. It's, uh, which, which was great. It's kind of long, but it's, it's really, I, I really liked it. It was a very good novel, I thought. And then uh, just started. Um, the old man in the sea. I had never read it. <laughs> nice. um, and I've never uh, read my either. mom's a librarian or was a librarian, like, like a high school librarian. And so every once in a while when, uh, 
you know, and I've, I'm over past her house or whatever, which has not been that much lately, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, sometime before the, the, all the virus stuff kicked in, um, I was there and just grabbed it off the shelf. So, um, and just, you know, it, it, I think it only takes about like 45 minutes to read, but, uh, I've, I've never read it either. My mom's a middle school librarian Oh, nice! Uh, and that's her favorite book. And so I feel like I should read it now, now hearing you say that too. It's, it's, I mean, I've read, I read about half of it, uh, and you know, like in the last couple of days and, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's good. All right. I'll yeah. add it to the list. Yeah. Uh, thank you both so much for doing this. This was such an interesting conversation for me. I, uh, really like the way you thought about the show and, and have put it together and am just generally a fan of, of the way you both think about your work. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. That's, uh, that's flattering. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This episode was recorded on April 27th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.